It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yes, I am, and I'm glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline, this auspicious Monday edition of Lifeline. Nothing real new about it, just you and I. (laughs) Spending some time for the next two hours, 5.05 is the time on this April 6th, let's see here, 16th, um, 2018. Let me see that. Yeah, I got that right. That means some of you guys have probably passed the deadline for paying your taxes, so you better handle that business. Anyhow, good to be with you, Jesse Gistand. You know who I am, you know who you are, and you know what we do. The number here is one 367 one where we try to talk about things that make sense, avoid nonsense, and uh, and then try to press into the logical, the spiritual, and the practical, the things that actually make for a holistic, healthy life for a believer. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another magnificent day. Bless all of our listeners. Bless those who are listening afar on all of the different mediums by which this um, historically uh, beneficial Christian radio station has Um, profited people far and wide. We thank you for these next two hours. We give them to you that you might sanctify them and bless them as we collaborate around issues that really, really, truly do matter. 1-888-367-5329. If you're asking about where I was last week, I was in Chicago. Yes, Chicago. I, my wife, and uh, our baby daughter, our last daughter at the home, Trinity. She was uh, in a a choir contest, as you guys know, her her sister and her brothers, they sing, all of them sing, but the last three really, the last three, yeah, really uh, took choir seriously, and uh, uh, she was in competition, her and her Castro Valiant uh, choir team, uh, and they did absolutely well. In fact, they took first place and did a couple of other significant things as well. That's right, that's right. Representing the Bay Area. That's what they did. I'll tell you what, and me and my wife, we got about for the uh, three days that we were there. Uh, she just had us uh, moving about, uh, going here and yon. And we saw a lot of different venues and enjoyed several of the restaurants. I can tell you about some of the good food we ate every day. Um, but I discovered that Chicago, Chicago itself, is not for California brothers. That's what I discovered. I discovered that 30 degrees <laughs> and anything under 30 degrees is just not for California brothers as a norm, okay? Um, I just couldn't stay comfortable out there. And I'm not even talking about the wind that would gust through the city blocks if you hung out on the corner for more than five seconds. They call it the Windy City for a reason. The Yes, the chill factor was phenomenal. And unfortunately, I wasn't quite as prepared for the weather as my wife was. When you go, you have to have gloves that can handle the chill factor. You have to have a coat that can handle the chill factor. You have to have boots that can handle the chill factor. You have to have a hoodie that can handle the chill factor. And you really do need to have uh, a scarf to cover your face because breathing that cold air can do a number on you. So um, I was cold. 
uh, frequently, uh, but enjoyed the trip and uh, glad to be back in sunny California. Thankful, thankful for my uh, my venue and my little strip of land that I've grown up in um, over the last 57 years on this terra firma. Uh, and I was uh, recently, just an hour ago, Sneaking in a little nap, if you will, out in the parking lot here at the uh, prestigious Palacio resident of KVAX uh, just before I would come in and entertain and engage you uh, on topics. Um, just try to get a little nap, 15, 20 minute nap. I, I really do recommend that for everyone. If you can do it, it's going to you know increase the longevity of your life and actually it's going to give you an attitude that can endure uh, troubles or challenges or just the fatigue of a 24-hour day. And guess what woke me up? <laughs> the same hell, not hell, the same hell that came down in Chicago turned into snow and made it difficult to get to the airport. It just followed me here, woke me up. I'm like, what? Is this Chicago? It was beating down on the, uh, the roof of my car and then the windshield. And I looked and I said, I remember you. I remember you. I remember you. I thought I had gotten rid of you. So, be careful out there. It's probably going to be wet on your way home or wet <clears throat> um, if you're going out to take some take care of some business and shop and stuff. No, I'm glad to be with you guys. Just so glad. What do you want to talk about? What are the issues that you are challenged with? What are some of the struggles that you want to really engage yours truly about? Here to answer your questions, take your phone calls, one 888 you got issues with fearfulness or trouble or anger or just tired, bored, um, unclear on some matters, hopeless, lonely. We can talk about all that. Yeah, I said fear. I said uh, trouble, anger, uh, fatigue, tiredness, boredom, uh, being unclear about uh, life decisions, um, hopelessness. That's where a lot of people are. Um, and then loneliness. Those are like some of the top factors, fear, trouble, that is anguish, internal anguish. So anger, fatigue, boredom, unclear about our life's purpose, hopelessness, and then also loneliness. Um, and, and, and what are the, what other what other issues that may also be uh, plaguing you in terms of hindering your progress in your walk with God? One triple eight three six seven five three. To nine, listen to this word from Mr. J.C. Riles. He just he just has some pithy statements that I think are um, are worth um, marking and regarding before we take a break, and then we'll come back with your phone calls. A couple lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. He first of all says happiness does not depend on outward circumstances. Ouch. Happiness does not depend on outward circumstances, but on the state of the heart. Now, who would really challenge that proposition? Who would really challenge that proposition? Happiness does not depend upon the outward circumstances, but on the state of the heart. Now, don't call to try to battle with that one because history would be against you almost in every sphere of life around the world from the beginning of time to the present hour. How on earth can we be happy in a world that is broken as ours is presently, except it be a state of the heart? And have you ever discovered, child of God, my friends, and those of you who listen to us, have you ever discovered that you can be in a dire predicament that can really create anguish on the inside? 
uh, pain and, and grieving on the inside in your mind and your heart, your soul, etc. And then at the pivot of your thinking process, just a pivot by the grace of God, a, a tilt, a, an alteration by the providence of God, wherein you begin to think in another direction and therefore take on a whole nother uh, perspective and then embrace a whole nother um, optimism immediately your emotional and psychological and yeah, I would even say spiritual well-being begins to transform in a moment and the state of your heart is lifted. The state of your spirit is quickened. The state of your mind is enlightened. And now all of a sudden things have changed. Would you agree? If that's the case, then you do know that happiness does not depend on outward circumstances. Here's another one that he says, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. It's a good one, isn't it? All right, I've said it for many, many years. If you don't pray, you're going to fight. If you're fighting, you won't pray because fighting is pride. Prayer is humility. Prayer is condescension. Prayer is confession. Prayer is acknowledging that you're wrong. It's asking God to fight for you. But when you are fighting, you will not pray. And sin is fighting against God. Did you know that? Sin is fighting against God. That's why Mr. Riles, Dr. Riles, the late Dr. Riles said, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. Here's another one. Do nothing that you would not like God to see. Oh, there you go again. Say nothing that you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book of which you would not like God to say. Show it to me. Never spend such time. Never spend your time in such a way that you would not like God to have to say, what are you doing? Uh, what is he emphasizing here? Well, he's emphasizing sanctification. He's emphasizing communion with God. He's emphasizing us honoring God for who God really truly is and recognizing that our fellowship with God really is contingent upon us rising to the level of honoring God in the totality of our being in person. What are my thoughts about God if somehow I can just let God kind of hang around me when I'm being raggedy? Just utterly raggedy. And that's a euphemism, as you know. I'm being raggedy in my thoughts, raggedy in my words, raggedy in my actions, raggedy in my doings, raggedy in my displacement. That is in the, the, the places that I abide. What kind of honor am I bestowing upon God, dragging him around, uh, metaphorically, anthropomorphically speaking? We don't drag God anywhere, but he sees it all. Um, and even if I am candid with him about the cesspool that I'm living in, that there may be some candidacy there, but is there really reverence and respect? Think about your mama and your daddy. Uh, would you want them there? Think about someone that you really respect highly. Would you want them there in the, the thoughts that we would uh, engage in that are idolatrous and profane? That's what he's saying. He's saying that you and I need to rise to the level of communion with God in the context of fellowship and going hither and yon and doing this and that and thinking things through. Now, what this kind of sanctification really does, child of God, is it forces you to be authentic or break off the relationship. 
That's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 7, when it was all said and done, after all the religious folks who were able to pass the test with human beings who could only see so far, he said, I never knew you. Depart me, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So uh, I really do enjoy these pithy statements by uh, Ryle. I'm going to state one more and then we're going to take a break. As I stated, there are two lines open. I'd love for one of you guys to light a fire on a topic worthy of discussion. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight. Or I don't mind speaking to you in the in the booth, the private booth of uh, confession, if you need that. I'll be glad to do that. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. Here's another pithy one as we take a break on the Monday edition of Lifeline with your host Jesse Gistin. Really glad to be in the house. He says, Hell is truth known too late. Gonna take a break, pay some bills, listen to some news and traffic, and then we'll be right back on the Monday edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. Yes, indeed. 521, two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear from you. So what does Mr. Riles say? Hell is truth known too late. What is the inference of his proposition? That even though you can tell people there is a hell to escape, they will not believe it as the truth. And die only to wake up like the rich man. You remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, realizing that hell was more real than the fictitious, phony, surreal world that he had created by the powers of his wealth and uh, his influence in this world. That's what we do. We live a lie here hoping that that lie will be a reality over there. And yet the Bible so abundantly clear uh, that there is a hell to escape. Beware of manufacturing a God of your own. That's what Mr. Ryle says. A God who is all mercy, but not just. A God who is all love, but not holy. A God who has heaven for everybody, but a hell for none. A God who can allow good and bad to be side by side in time, but will make no distinction between good and bad in eternity. Such a God is an idol of your own, as truly an idol as any snake or crocodile in the Egyptian temple. The hands of your own fancy and sentimentality have made them. He is not the God of the Bible. And beside the God of the Bible, there is no God at all. You can tell that J.C. Rao was getting at it in his day. Um, Here's another one that he worries about. He says, there's a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day. This was the 17th, 18th century, which many have think that they have enough. Let's see here, which many have and think that they have enough, a cheap Christianity, which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. And let me ask you the question. Since I've got two lines open, what would you say to that statement? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Would you say that this is an accurate description of our present day Christianity? I'm going to state it again, and let's test our hearts on this. Okay, he says there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have, and think that they have enough. It's a cheap Christianity which offends nobody, requires no sacrifice and which costs nothing and is worth nothing. 
I do want to say that again and see if we can press this as a, a, a point of maybe self-reflection analysis and stuff. one 888 is the number because as a pastor, I think about this all the time. As a believer, I think about it incessantly. As a Christian living in the 21st century and in this Western culture where you and I live, I think about it um, repeatedly. Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a phony Christianity that we are living it's not real at all. Doesn't reflect the Bible um, in any real sense. So when he says there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, he was talking 200 years ago. We're talking today, which many have and think that they have enough. It's a cheap Christianity, which does not offend anyone. Should your Christianity in some point, in some way, offend someone? And it requires no sacrifice. Let me ask you the question. Should your Christianity in some way and somehow require a sacrifice of you? And which cost nothing. Should your Christianity cost you something and is therefore worth nothing? At the end of the day, is your Christianity worth anything? Now think about those propositions. I have a a Christianity that doesn't offend I have a Christianity that requires nothing of me. I have a Christianity that didn't cost me a thing. And uh, therefore, I have a Christianity that's worth nothing. So now walk with me through the Bible quickly before I take another break and and ask yourself, is there any Bible-believing person in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, they're all Christians at the end of the day because they had the same faith looking to the same God who would present the same solution to the same problem from the beginning of time, a sin-atoning Savior for honest, hell-bound sinners. But is it possible that your Christianity is just a bunch of words that does not manifest itself in the fullness of the gospel that is ready to actually... Let people know the truth. It doesn't matter how nice you put it. Put it as nice as you possibly can. We're under the ethical law of kindness to do that. Put it as nice as you can, so long as you don't distort the facts and deny the truth. And you'll discover that you still offend people because people are offended by proposition. Not just the platter you put it on, but the proposition. You are a sinner. And you are helplessly bound to your sin the only solution is a savior. Last time you said that to somebody. Here's another one. Um, does your Christianity cost you anything? Do you have an ethic of honor towards the gospel that fundamentally says, I cannot give the Lord something that did not cost me, like David said. In fact, all the old saints understood that in relationship to God, he's asking you to give him something uh, just in correlation to what he has given you, not that you are earning anything, not that you are paying off your debt, but you are affirming that you honor God at the level of the enormous, tremendous, infinite blessing that he's given you in Christ. Where is the sacrifice at? What have you abandoned for exclusivity to Christ? What have you let go for um, for greater communion with Christ? What have you avoided for uh, maintained sanctification with Christ? Um, again, what what have you what have you um, uh, sacrificed or suffered and paid as a cost for for this cross centered Christ centered uh, calling to which Jesus said would occur in your life? I mean, there has to be something that we go through as we are cleaving to Jesus. 
talking about the ROE rules of engagement. That's what happens when you leave and cleave. When you leave this world system and you cleave to Christ, listen, there are things you're going to pay. The world system, the devil, your flesh, people who say they're Christian will not let you get by without getting a chunk of your flesh for you taking up exclusivity to Jesus and maybe that's part of the reason why your you know your 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 struggles are such that you have not resolved that it's me and Jesus against the world and so that's why I'm saying I'll be glad to talk to you about fear because fear has torment where it's not matured by love or I can talk to you about trouble and troubles will sink us unless faith is given to us by which we can have a grown folk joy knowing that trouble simply is the soil into which the seed of faith is sown and that one day it'll bear fruit or what about anger Sometimes anger is simply that root that says, we don't want God in control. I want to be in control. Or what about wearisomeness? I'm tired. That might be an indicator that you have been walking in your own strength and not the strength of the Lord. I'm bored. That might be an indicator that you are also um, negligent in your uh, focus on who God is because God is fabulously interesting, really fabulously interesting. And guess what? He made his creation so interesting that when you see the creation through his eyes and you can detect and discern providence, you can see God's handiwork. You can recognize God's movements. You can interpret and discern the the, the meaning and method and modes of operation of the spirit of God and, 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 the, and the practical everyday issues of life. Fascinating. I'll tell you what, when you go to bed, having walked in the spirit, and this is what we're learning in our women's theology class this week, It's about the dance. I'm teaching our ladies how to dance with the Trinity, how to dance with God in a way that you know each person, particularly in their relationship in your life, particularly in your troubles. Dancing with Did is what we are starting this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Grace Bible. It's a phenomenal class. Somebody call and talk about phenomenal class of theology this year. Just been absolutely, absolutely rich. Are you unclear? Are you unclear? Are you in the fog? Listen, the Bible says all things are plain to him that has understanding. So when we're in the fog, it means that we have neglected to call on God in prayer and have him hold our hand and walk us through the difficult terrains of life. How about hopelessness? How about hopelessness? When we're hopeless as a believer, we have forgot the promises of God. And loneliness? What about loneliness? Loneliness occurs... When we as the people of God have a value system that does not raise God, his son and his spirit to the level that it it ought to be, because they are the ones who said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Two lines open, 1-888-367-5329. I want to hear from you. I've got to take a break. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time five thirty-five. I'm waiting on you to call one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You know you have a question. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You might as well get it answered now. Have you ever had one of those situations occur where you know you should have been asked that question, and uh, and then finally when you get around to it, the answer is simple, are clear, are practical, are ready to go, packaged. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's do it. Let's go to line number one and talk to Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, are you there? I did. Hi, Pastor Jesse. Who are you about to call me? I was going to call you my name. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll let that faux pas go by. Okay. 
Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> Me too. And I get that. I get it backwards all the time. Yeah. What's going on? What's your thoughts? I want, want to know if there's a way I can get that um, the information from the gentleman you were talking about and, and your children's music. I love music. I know you do. And uh, a godly music. Of course. I, and so uh, is there a way that that can happen? Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, somebody mm-hmm. can send me a self just envelope and I can send you um, the check or money order, whatever. Well, we can, we can get you the money. What, what was it you were talking about that you wanted to receive? Uh, my commentaries that I was doing in the earlier part of the program? Yes, and also the, the uh, does your, your do your children have a, uh, a printout of all the music that they have available for you to sing? Uh, no, for for them for their singing. You were talking about your children singing, and you went to Chicago and. Oh yeah, I mean they do thousands of songs. I, mean, I shouldn't say thousands, maybe hundreds. I mean, you know, they've been doing this forever, and uh, you know, and they, so they they have a catalog or, or you know whatever of of their stuff, so that you know. I can find out, but I know what I can do. I can definitely make sure that you get a CD of their music, and I know you're gonna like it because they just you know, we like good music that exalts and honors God, don't we? Yes, and uh, you convicted me so. Thanks for being faithful to your calling. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll make sure you get that because I actually I need that too. My kids are slow sometimes in in, in honoring dad's request. You know, they just think I'm gonna be around forever. Um, so I'll see if I can get a copy for me and a copy for you, and I'll definitely uh, get you some of our friend J.C. Riles' pithy, pithy, pithy blessing. The statements are just phenomenal. I'm gonna read a few more too, so just keep listening, okay? Booklet of his sayings that are all together in yeah, one Yeah, absolutely. He did that for us. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean I mean thousands of quotes, but I'm gonna probably send you hundreds. And they're all good. I'm gonna be reading a few more as the uh as we continue talking. So uh bless you, my sister. Bless you too. I love you. I love you too. Let's go to line two and talk with Mark. Let me see, is he in San Jose? Are you in San Jose today, um uh Marcus? I am. I was in Lodi last Monday doing some marketing for KFAX. Okay, because I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I wasn't here last Monday. What were you doing in Lodi? I was doing some marketing for KFAX, just talking to people about uh, the various preachers and the talk shows with you and Craig Roberts and, and uh, you know, MacArthur at 1030 and so on. So what are you, what's, your, what's your thoughts today? Well, I uh, attended a... Uh, meeting with the uh, Board of Supervisors two Tuesdays ago, and they appointed a uh, new uh, director, Francesca, who gave out a, uh, a phone number and announced that this month is uh, Stop Child Abuse Month. And so uh, wow. Wow. it hopefully is getting better over there. If you uh, In San Francisco? Them. In San Francisco? No, in San Jose. Oh, San Jose. David not the uh, president any longer. Sumidian is the president now. And uh, Who, who's the president? Sumidian. Sumidian. Sumitian. Okay, Sumitian. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's the president of what board? The Santa Clara County Board, board of, of Supervisors. Supervisors. Okay, now and they are moving in a direction to address this worldwide epidemic of child molestation. Well, 
what they said was they announced that April is Stop Child Abuse Month. Okay. And I uh, took the number that Francesca gave us to call for a suspected child abuse, and I've, I think I've left like four messages since then with my name and number. And uh, Sad Poland cut, uh, called me back, but if you'll type in mother of severely abused toddler speaks out, uh, it'll come up. Uh, it was an interview that Nikki Nguyen had on NBC two and a half years ago. And uh, just type in mother of severely abused toddler speaks out. And the other report Vicky had was near death of foster child sheds light on flawed system. Uh, this four-year-old girl had been placed in a foster home, and the mother- yeah, I, I know about the, I know, I know, I know about the whole story as do you, which is one of the best kept secrets in our common media, um, as you would know, Mark. That they don't touch that. That's one of the um, Babylonian idols that they don't care to expose in our culture because it's too rooted in our political system, and you know that. Well, by God's grace, as you mentioned, David said, I, I won't. Uh, do anything. I won't serve the Lord unless it costs me. You know, if we possibly can, you can go down there and do public comment. And uh, that's not you know, my calling. No, I'm talking about showing up with your body and doing public comment at the board of supervisors meeting tomorrow. I know that, day. but that's not my calling. That would be somebody else. That's the reason why Christ has uh, millions and millions of, of, of members of his body, and we're not all the same members. That would not be my calling. That would be somebody's calling who is called to actually stand in the public arena and and shed light on some of the injustices and atrocities that are going on in society, particularly in reference to the vulnerable and those who are um, unable to defend themselves. We would wholeheartedly, as healthy, biblically-based Christians, uh, support that kind of sacrificial um, self-cost effort on the part of a believer whose motive is to glorify God in the Imago Dei of human beings from the womb to the tomb. As long as your motive is right, um, one would one would support you. So uh, I'm, I know, as you know, Mark, there are all sorts of believers all over the world doing things, um, expressing their um their grief and conviction and their um even holy anger against uh the abominations that are done both in Israel as well as in the Babylonian system I'm speaking spiritually now for those who have an idolatrous view of national Israel um I'm talking about the church uh, people do stand up and speak out because that's the only way you really begin to call attention to certain kinds of darknesses. But that's a calling. Not everyone has that calling. But we all should be aware of it. Like the topic that you're dealing with, um, child yeah. molestation um, and child abuse, it's epidemic around the world in every country around the world. And it's 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 so epidemic that it's not even we can't even estimate how atrocious our institutional systems are in their negligence of it, or maybe even aiding and abetting the practice of it. We can't even estimate it. If the Lord were to shed light on it for like just five minutes worldwide, it would break all of our hearts and we would be um, burdened, if you will, with the, the reality of human depravity of which we mock even in the church 
as if somehow the church sees the world the way God sees it. But man is desperately depraved. He is vilely depraved at the core of his being um, since the fall. And given an opportunity to live and walk in darkness, he will engage in the most diabolical, demonic, vitriolic practices, even seeking to destroy children um, in the womb and just out of the womb and certainly in young ages. This has gone all the way back since the fall. Uh, The archives are clear on massive unrelenting, uh, unspeakable abuse of children. And it goes on presently today around the world and, uh, and sadly, even in our country, Mark. Yeah, and when I left the messages, what I did is I played Vicki Nguyen's pieces that aired two and a half years ago, you know, and in other words, the child abuse, the child abusers to a large degree are the social services. And, uh, when Francesca was being interviewed on Channel 14, I just patiently stood next to her, waiting till the interview was over. And two of the social workers that were probably guilty of turning away that mother with her four-year-old girl called the police officer over saying I was harassing them. And the officer was nice. He didn't bother me, but he just said, you can't, you know, inter- interrupt. And I said, well, I wasn't. And so he just left, but he had to follow up with the you know, complaints, but I be- I'll bet you those were two of the social workers that were guilty because they all. Know I wouldn't bet you. I, I go down I wouldn't there bet so you. often. I wouldn't bet you. That's huh? why. That's what I'm, I wouldn't bet you. I'm going to rein it in right there because, like, when we're yeah. talking, we're talking to thousands of people, and I, I can't let you just run randomly into allegations or assertions that we can't even begin to, um, to verify. We don't want to do that. All of the social workers, all of the child protective agency uh, people, are not bad. They're just not. But right. there, there is oh, a lot. There, there is a lot. It, but we would want to not be uncareful with our words. We can't do that. You know, I told you about that. We can't generalize. When we generalize, we discredit our own um, calling and our own um, alleged uh, interest in what we're talking about. But you do have an extremely important point, And I know that we've gotten it across at least this time. I mean, I can tell you this. This topic is not going away um, at some point in the future. It's going to rise to the level of national discourse. And, uh, and, and uh, hopefully you'll still be walking in obedience to Christ so that you can share your voluminous data and information, which you are interested in with us and with the world, Mark. And I'm going to take a break on that. Three lines open, one 367 5329 I want to hear from you. one 367 5329 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time is 552 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one 367 5329 A humble and prayerful person will find a thousand things in the Bible which the proud student will utterly fail to discern. A humble and prayerful person will find a thousand things which God will reveal in his propositional truth to aid and abet and strengthen and guide and uh, illuminate and form his soul, which the proud student will utterly fail to discern. In other words, why is the Bible a closed book for some people? Pride. 
pride. A proud student will fail to see the glory of God in Scripture. They'll fail to see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. They'll fail to see the rich, redemptive reality of the romance that God engages sinners in from Genesis to Revelation. They'll fail to see that the Bible is centrally about Jesus. And they'll boast that the Bible is about them or about a generic God or a Christless God, but not the God who reveals himself in the person of his son, Jesus. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. And when we see the beauties and splendors of a God whose love manifests itself in redemption to deliver hellbound sinners from their sin, you see that message from Genesis to Revelation, and you say, Lord, thank you for your redemptive mercies in Christ. I've got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's start the conversation uh, on, uh, let's see here, line number three with Joe in Livermore. Joe, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay? I sure can. What's your question, comment, or observation, okay. sir? Uh, you you brought some stuff up about sacrificing, and are you, do you feel like you're paying a price uh, by serving Jesus? And you know, I think we need to be careful because if we start mixing law with grace, and you know, it it is finished. So the greatest pushback I get from the gospel, the grace of God, is from church people that say this. They say, don't tell me my 30 years of ushering doesn't matter for my salvation or God loving me. Or don't, mar- don't think that my 10 years of missionary work, God's super pleased with me. The bottom line is he's super pleased with us just the way we are, not as we should be, because I don't know one man that's as they should be. Now, I know don't, you know, if you're going to bring up, but should we continue and sing his grace abound, God forbid? Of course not. But then Romans 5 talks about this beautiful uh, substitution of Jesus Christ. He, he uses Adam, and then he uses Jesus. You know, we were born into the flesh, but God came to take all that away. And I think the only joy I have in my salvation is I know I'm going to be judged by Paul's gospel, not by anyone else's gospel, but it is finished. It's been completed. So is it hard? The hardest part about the gospel is believing what I just said, that he loves us. And that'll take the sin out of your life. That'll take you. That'll make you kinder. That'll make you more loving. Uh, Titus talks about that. And um, that the grace of God that saved us uh, helps us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So I just want to make sure that people, you know, the, the lager mixing with grace thing, is, it's an ugly thing because the devil will get in there and start you. But you can't um, even 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 by what you just stated, you're not going to stop the devil from doing that. That's right. That's right. So here's what I'm going to say. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. Have you okay. have? Do you know whether or not I preach the gospel? I don't really know you. I, I hear you driving through the bearing when I'm working. I said I'm going to call this guy. I, I don't know anything about you, but okay. I thought right. it was a really good question that you, you uh, put out there. Yeah, I, it's it's, be, it's because of this, um, Joe. Um, one can say that they're just in love with the grace of God and how wonderful the grace of God is. But the grace of God not only takes away something; the grace of God imparts something too. You know that. Yes. Right. And you started talking about it in Titus chapter uh, two and three and 
Titus chapter two and three are very clear about the foundation of grace, justification through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy hath he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And immediately upon establishing the foundation of the believer standing and relationship with God purely on the grace of God in Christ, he says, therefore, let us maintain good works. For hereunto were you called, because the good works actually are the fruit of grace and not the grounds of grace. They are the evidence of us being saved, not the cause of us being saved. So what the Bible does is it definitely demands that we make our calling and election sure by making sure we don't have a false grace. Now, I I fully embrace your concern about legalism and works righteousness, but I have seen for the last 35 years people whose faith get tested by the proposition of Scripture. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith or not. Prove yourselves whether or not Christ is in you of a truth, except you be reprobate. And the moment you get touched and challenged on whether or not your faith has fruit and evidences of reality that can be credible. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people in general. They get to moving and arguing and he and Han about legalism and works righteousness, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very clear in the Bible that the seed is going to bring forth fruit of its own kind. And I will say this at the end of the day, that we don't want to throw one out in justification of the other, when in fact the foundation of our good works is going to be the work of Christ in our in our lives and through our lives for God's glory, so that we never say that we did it, but that he did it through us in conjunction with our willingness. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that God works in you the will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm sure you know that. And so all I was stating was, is that there is a phony Christianity out here that does nothing to really demonstrate that it has been empowered by the grace of God. And I think you would agree with that. Uh, absolutely. And Ephesians 2, 8, I think verse 10 says, you were created unto good works. But those works come automatically when you understand the grace and love of God. No, they don't. don't no, they don't. You're doing it. Joe, no, no, they yeah, don't. Do. No, they don't. They I would do. challenge you. I would challenge you on that on that notion. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you on that. I'm going to challenge you on the notion that you just wake up one day doing it. See, this is where you have to be very careful about making statements about the grace of God. I understand, brother. I understand your excitement. I really do. But if you were sitting in my class on Saturday nights in a men's meeting, you know what I would tell you to do? Because I take I take Bible teaching seriously. I would say, take the proposition that you just stated and demonstrate through the scripture that the believer can sleepwalk right into obedience as if it's not a struggle, as if it's not deliberate, as if it's not volitional, as if you don't have to call on God uh, in prayer to actually work in you the will and to do of his good pleasure, as if it doesn't require the kind of humility that only people who know what John chapter 15, verse five and six says, without me, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. And herein is my father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. And listen, brother Joe, you're not sleeping. You're not sleepwalking on that. Now, I, I encourage you now to make sure that you don't present to people a phony grace by which somehow you just wake up and all of a sudden, oh, man, I'll, look, I'll, I'm, I'm doing it. L- listen, it doesn't work like that. Sa- between justification and glory is a process called sanctification. And sanctification, yeah. and sanctification takes into consideration the totality of my struggle. 
Don't you? Do, do, do you? Yeah, we're right. We're already sanctified. We're already glorified, right? Both in principle and in process. You're in the process of yeah. sanctification, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, but so I'm so sanctified before Jesus. Now, but think about that. You're talking positionally. Positionally, we're already glorified, but are we not in the process presently of sanctification? Right. Is okay, is I can, I can I can go with that. Of course, okay. I'm the Bible teacher here, and I'm not trying to pull rank. I'm just saying to you that we cannot be talking to thousands of people on the air about a phony experience of grace. I do want you to keep it real. At the end of the day, what we say is not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name be glory, O God. But the imperatives in Scripture, Joe, means that you and I are obligated to seek God's face, to bring about in our life what God commands to be manifested in our life. And that's a struggle. Brother? Well, this flesh, yeah, this flesh is a struggle. Yeah. It says in Titus that the grace of God teaches us, right, through the Holy Spirit. And, and see, I believe Jesus is great. John 1, 14 through 17. You can see all that there if you I want agree. to look at it. No, I know. I, 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 I know the Bible verses. Yeah. I agree with you. But when you use the term, you when you use the terms, when you use the terms uh, teach, you have to actually be comprehensive about it. Teaching is a subject-object relationship with a nature that is rooted in a process that we have to take in the totality of Scripture. And when we take in the totality of Scripture, here's what you learn. Sanctification requires us humbling ourselves before God, admitting our impotence, our weakness, admitting our frailness, and often admitting our reluctance. And then by God's grace, he begins to work in us those graces that we know that are not in us naturally. And that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We give him all the glory for it, but we admit, we admit the struggle. We admit, according to Romans chapter seven, the good I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, I find myself doing. I see a law in my members that when I would do good, evil is present with me to bring me into captivity to the law of sin and death. I admit that I am a wretched man all by myself, but thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ that there is deliverance from that old nature so that even though it dwells in me, it doesn't rule me. Now, Joe, that's a struggle, brother. No, Romans 7, you said it perfectly, and I live by I read Romans 7 all the time to realize I'm still broken. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Then that just mitigated this nice little thing about sleepwalking, and then one, one day waking up, um, you know, seeing that there's greater yeah. humility, seeing that there's a greater... I do understand, however, what you're saying. It's got to be done by grace. It, it does. It's got I mean, to be done. You know, I just see everybody bending towards legalism still. Like they have something to do with it. And I'm like, you have nothing to do with salvation. Not one thing except the sin that made it necessary. I think Jonathan Edwards said that, or one of those guys. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, the only thing we bring to the cross is our sin that made the cross necessary. Yeah, you're talking I, justification. I, I, you're talking justification. In the context of sanctification, here's what I would say to you. And I'd love to expand on this with you. And anyone else out there is that once we move okay. into sanctific once we move into the dimension of sanctification, we are always talking two wills. We're talking about the will of God, the will of man. We're talking about the person of God in you and you. It's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are not passive in this matter. 
You are not passive. This is a union. It's the union between a husband and a wife. You have left the world. You have left sin. You have left the enemy and you have cleaved to Christ and Christ is cleaved to you and the twain become one flesh and him working in you and you submitting to him results in grace coming out of your life. That's the reason why marriage is so difficult. Joe, are you married? Yes, I have thirty six years. Now I'm 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 about the same a little bit more than you. Let me ask you the question. Is it tough? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, leave it's it right tough. there. Brother, brother, leave it right there. That's called <laughs> sanctification. I love you, man. Gotta take a break. Bless you, bro. I'll be right back. All the lines are full. Gotta pay some bills and we're gonna keep at this. We gotta get this gospel right, or otherwise we're gonna be in trouble on the last day. I'll be right back. 